This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Hey there, everybody. It's, I mean, if you think about it, it's a winning Rico Bronia podcast, right? The Mets won two out of three against the Chicago White Sox. We should all be really happy and excited, except we're not. Except nobody's really happy and nobody's really excited because we are at a point in the year in which winning two out of three against the Chicago White Sox at Citi Field is not good enough. It has nothing to do with how they won game one or how they almost blew game one. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the fact that we looked at these three games after they had beaten the Dodgers on Sunday night and said, for the Mets to continue to get out of this hole they've built for themselves, the only way to do it is to sweep the Chicago White Sox. And that's what's unfortunate, because if this was the middle of April, if this was May, or even if the Mets were you know, 10 games above 500, I think we would view a series victory, even with a lackluster finale where you don't complete the sweep, I think you would still look at the series as a success. Because anytime you win a series, it's a good thing in Major League Baseball. But when you're six games under 500, or at least coming into this series, seven games under 500, and it is late July, essentially, and you're facing a team that's bad, two out of three is not good enough. So let's start right there. Yes, they won a series. Yes, they're now 45 and 51. Not that that's something to write home about. But what happened on Thursday afternoon was enough to kind of delete all the good, if you had good, from Tuesday and Wednesday. And that's where we are in the season. And and I got a spoiler for you. The Mets are about to go to Boston. It's going to kind of be the same thing where they got to sweep them. And that may seem unrealistic and that may seem unfair. The Red Sox are 51 and 46. They're a better team than the Chicago White Sox are. And you're going to Fenway Park. But still, that's where we are in this season. Now, As far as this series is concerned, we'll break down all three games. Also coming up later on, the Tommy Pham update, the Starling Marte update, and we analyze some interesting comments that came from Francisco Lindor when he joined Mookie Betts on his podcast just a couple of days ago. But let's get to the opener of this series. The New York Mets scored five runs in the first inning, and we all couldn't believe it. That's basically how this series started. It started with a shocking, a stunning five-run first inning. Pete Alonzo gave you a little sacrifice fly. Okay. Tommy Pham gave you an RBI double. Mets are up one nothing about 30 seconds into the game. Francisco Alvarez hit an absolute moonshot to left field. Brett Beatty completed the back-to-backer. By the way, real quick, and if you saw this, Pete, tell me you saw it. 
Do you know the last time, and, and believe it or not, the only time rookies hit back-to-back home runs for the New York Mets? Do you know the answer, first of all? Uh, if you don't, that's fine. I think I've heard it before, but I don't know it right now. But I'm going to try to take a guess. Back-to-back rookies? Yes. Damn it. I'm thinking I'm thinking Aaron Judge and and uh and uh Austin Austin no, Kearns. No, no that's the not The Mets. The I Mets. know, I know, but I don't know why they have them in my head. Okay, I'm going to think Aaron Judge and <laughs> Austin Kearns. What the hell? David David Wright and Jose Reyes. Ah, that, that's a, hey, listen, at least you picked them. A couple of Mets. Um so I was at the game Thursday afternoon with my dad and my 2-year-old. And my dad turned to me and said, I heard the last and the only two rookies to go back to back. And I don't think anybody would get it. So I said to my dad, all right, well, tell me the era. So he said, your era, son. Like, it's not the 60s. It's not the 70s. Your era. So the first name I mentioned, I can't believe I got it right. I didn't get the back to back right. I named a random Met rookie. And my dad's like, yeah, he was one of them. And the guy I named was Mike Jacobs. And I, and I don't know why I picked Mike Jacobs. Maybe because remember Mike Jacobs was called up for a day, hit a home run, and then Pedro Martinez insisted that the Mets will not send him back down. And the Mets listened. And Jacobs ended up performing pretty well. And then they ended up trading him for Carlos Delgado. So I randomly got the Jacobs part right. I could not get the other one until my dad said, well, Joe Beningo remembers him well. And as soon as my dad said that, Victor Diaz, Victor Diaz, years ago, my wonderful partner, Joe B, said Victor Diaz will be better than David Wright or Jose Reyes. It's famous WFA and audio. So, yeah, Brett Beatty and Francisco Alvarez did something in that first inning on Tuesday night that had only been accomplished by the immortal Mike Jacobs and Victor Diaz. Is that a bad sign, uh, Pete? <laughs> that's that's what I was going to ask you. That doesn't. That's not very promising. I, I don't feel good about that. Can we erase that? <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's one of those history things you're like, eh, not sure about. But it was stunning. It was stunning they scored five runs. And I don't know about anybody else. When they put the five up in the bottom of the first, as great as it was, and I was watching this game from home, so I was not in the ballpark for it, I still wasn't comfortable. Like, there was no part of me that said, oh, wow, this is going to be a romp. It's probably the Spike Carlos Carrasco slider being much more effective his last few starts, and he's been a lot better. It probably had a lot to do with that. And he immediately gives up a home run to Yasmani Grandal. The Mets get the run back. Lindor had a pretty clutch two-out RBI double. He gives another run back when Tim Anderson, who had, like, the game of the year for him, he's had a dreadful year this year, ripped that RBI double, but it's still 6-2. to two. And, you know, you should still be okay. DJ Stewart hit one to the moon after all of us complained. Why is DJ Stewart in the starting lineup? We all did it. We all saw him batting ninth and DHing, saying, why the hell is he there? Meanwhile, he hits one off the Shea Bridge. And it felt at that point, all right, eight to two. I think I'm all right. And I think we'll be okay. And we were not because Carlos Carrasco could not get through the fifth inning. Did anybody, did you have an issue, Pete? So it's eight to two at this point. Carrasco gives up back-to-back hits to start the fifth, gets the next two guys out with a run scoring. So all of a sudden now it's an eight to three game. And then he gives up the RBI double to Jake Berger. At that point, think about where we are. It's eight, four, 
There's a runner on second, two outs in the fifth inning. The pitch count for Carrasco is at 82. Was there any part of you that said, yeah, Cookie sucks, but I'd rather try to squeeze a few more outs out of him before I go to this bullpen? I mean, that's every every game. Yes. I mean, <laughs> I would I beg for the, the starting pitchers to go as long as they possibly can because like we saw multiple times so far this year, you just can't trust him. Yeah, you know, normally when I see a guy is done, and I think Carrasco was near the end, he was not good in this game, and that RBI double by Berger was hit well. He had now given up three hits in the fifth inning. Forget the pitch count. I don't think he was pitching all that well. Normally, I'd say get him out because he's done. But you know if you're going to the bullpen in the fifth inning, and I don't care how well rested this bullpen is, it's not a good one. You really only have two and a half guys that you trust out of this bullpen. And it's going to take a lot before you get to David Robertson, before you get to Brooks Raley, before you get to Adam Adovino, who are pretty much the guys that you sort of trust. Robertson, definitely. I go back and forth about Adovino. Brooks Raley has actually had a pretty good year. We have to give him some credit. And even though Grant Hartwick came in and did a pretty good job, they still needed to find a way to get 13 outs. Like, that's the game I'm playing. The game I'm playing is, okay, I got to get 13 outs. Can I possibly make it 12 if I can somehow nurse Carrasco through the fifth inning? Buck pulls him. It looks good for a while because, like I mentioned, Grant Hartwig comes in and retires four in a row, and then he gets in trouble in the seventh inning. And then we got to see Trevor Gott really initiate himself as a member of the New York Met bullpen. Because when you are acquired... We can look at your ERA. We can look at your resume. But we're going to give you a blank slate because everything you did elsewhere is irrelevant, good and bad, by the way. This works both ways. So Trevor Gott comes in. I even said it on the Rico last week. Hey, you know, you take out his last two performances in Seattle. He's actually been pretty good. He's under team control next year. This is great. Like, uh, what, what a wonderful Steve Cohen acquisition. All it took was buying off Chris Flexen. Well, Trevor Gott, in the seventh inning on Tuesday night against the White Sox, became a true member of the New York Met bullpen. He has joined all the greats. I'm about to name a bunch of random relievers who have sucked over the last 30 years. Are you ready? He's joined Mike Maddox. He's not Greg Maddox. He's joined Doug Henry. He's joined Jerry DePoto. He has joined Billy Taylor. He has joined... I don't want to say Armando Benitez because he had some pretty good years. He's joined Ricardo Rincon. He's joined Toby Borland. He's joined Rich Rodriguez. He's joined Meli Quidas Rojas. He's joined them all. Because now Trevor Gott is one of us. One of those crappy relievers who when we see pitch, We all just want to shut the TV off. And and in fairness, the first play when Trevor Gott came in was a mistake by Brett Beatty because he got Andrew Vaughn to hit a ground ball to third base, and Brett Beatty essentially didn't know what to do. That was a problem. That was was not ideal. That was a little bit of a problem. But then he gives up the double to Berger. Then he gives up a base hit to Yasmani Grandal. Then he gives up a base hit to Zach Remyard. And Buck Showalter, probably one batter too late, if we're being fair about this, finally rescues us from the Trevor God experiment. And here's the reason it was one batter too late. I don't know if everybody's aware of this. 
there's a three batter minimum. So three, he's got to see. Because <laughs> if this was the old world, he faced four batters. I would have said it was three and a half batters too late. But because there's a rule now, that fourth batter, which was Remyard, was the extra batter he shouldn't have faced. Get his ass out of the game. Because somehow the Mets took a game in the seventh inning that was essentially over. It was 11-4. to four. The game needs to be over. I don't care if your bullpen is Mike Maddox, Jerry DePoto, and Mel Rojas on crack. The game needs to be over. And what Hartwig and Gott somehow pulled off is they somehow made an 11-4 game, an 11-9 game, in 30 seconds. Pete, the game became close in three and a half minutes. It wasn't like a slow burn. It was just like, oh, yeah, you like 11-4? Smoke this. It became 11-9 instantly. We're going to call this the uh, Trevor Got Smoked segment. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he sure did. And look, Brooks really came in and did his job after he issued that leadoff. Not a leadoff, but the first batter he faced was that backup catcher, Carlos Perez, who he walked. He was able to get out of it. So good job by Raley. Good job by Adam Adovino, who got through trouble in the eighth inning. And even though David Robertson made it very, very, very exciting when he's walking the leadoff hitter on four pitches and he's walking Elvis Andrus after he nearly struck him out, he's able to hold on to an 11-9 lead. He gave up the RBI single to Benintendi. And then Tim Anderson's up after Benintendi steals second. And he's a base hit away from giving the White Sox the lead. And I'm sitting there and I'm live. I'm live in my Barco lounger. And I was convinced, Pete, the Mets were losing this game. There there was no doubt in my mind that Timmy Anderson, who already had three hits in this game, was going to put the icing on the cake and the Mets were going to somehow blow an 11-4 lead. I was convinced of it. No, I never would. Listen, it's funny because I'm just going to go back to a tweet that I put out that same day. I was walking the track because I'm, I'm fat. I'm trying to lose weight. So uh, <laughs> as I was walking, I put out a tweet. I said, I still don't feel great about a 5 nothing lead. Need at least double digits tonight. That was at 736. So as soon as we hit double digits, I, I knew that we were going to win. I wasn't happy. But as soon as we hit the double digit mark, I was convinced we were fine. Even with second and third two outs and Tim Anderson's a single away? <laughs> yeah, because you know what? Not for nothing. I, listen. The White Sox are bad for a reason, too, right? I yeah, mean, they're bad. We're yeah. bad, but but they're worse than us. So we have to feel good that they're going to gr- screw something up at some, some point in time. Or tease you to the point of, hey, we're about to come back from 11-4 down and win this game to then not. And look, when Anderson flew out to Brandon Nemo, there was a sense of relief, obviously. But after an ugly win, kind of like Sunday night against the Dodgers, after an ugly win, There's that moment of, hey, this wasn't pretty. This wasn't wonderful. But I quickly move on to, hey, they won the game. And when you sit there for three hours or two and a half hours, or in the case of this game, three hours and 28 minutes, that's what we're looking to see. So even though it was 11-10, and even though the Met bullpen was atrocious, and even though there were questions that you could certainly lobby at Buck Showalter, lob at Buck Showalter for how we managed that bullpen, The truth is they won the game, and I went to sleep nicely. I felt good because at the end of the day, it was a two-game winning streak. I'm going to intersperse emails throughout the pod because we got a lot of them Tuesday night during this game, and I find them interesting to read now knowing the result of the game. 
So let's start it off with Matt Mark RLA. He write he wrote this actually before the game even started. 5.07 p.m. He was complaining about the lineup card, which changed. So he was complaining about the original lineup, which had Francisco Alvarez batting eighth. Remember, Starling Marte was initially in the lineup. He was scratched. At the time, we were told it was illnesses. We later found out he's got a migraine issue. He's going on the injured list. But at the time, the initial lineup for Tuesday night had Francisco Alvarez batting eighth, and Matt had an issue with this. Buck batting Alvarez eighth is the epitome of everything wrong with the New York Mets. It's his lineup card. I don't care what input others give. This falls on him. Batting Alvarez eighth just to keep the righty lefty intact is asinine. Just like this one decision. Like Beatty is in the lineup today, and here he is batting ahead of Alvarez at seventh. It makes no sense. To add icing on the cake, DJ Stewart is at DH. He has nothing to do with anything, even if they win. So why is Alvarez batting eighth? It makes no sense to me. Well, here's the beautiful part. Francisco Alvarez got bumped up to six and hit two home runs. <laughs> you know why I don't get nuts about the lineup stuff? I get nuts with who's playing and who's not playing. I'm with everybody about that. I want to see the better players playing. But in terms of a guy batting eighth or a guy batting sixth, and, and look, I have an opinion on it. I'm just saying it's not the end of the world to me, is that sometimes situations are going to find you. So, yeah, Alvarez happened to be heading six, batting sixth in this game, and he happened to come up with two on and two out in the first inning, and he happened to hit a three-run home run. And the situation found him in the sixth inning to come up with a runner on first and two outs, and he happened to hit a two-run home run. If he was sitting eighth in this game, now, coincidentally, if he was hitting eighth in this game, those situations wouldn't have found him, but sometimes they do. And so my priority is I want the guys who should be playing, playing. If they're not hitting in the quote-unquote right order, I have an opinion on it, but it's not as important as just get the right guys in. Now, I agree with DJ Stewart. I see DJ Stewart batting ninth, and my reaction is, why is he on the roster, which we talked about last time? Now, to DJ's credit, he goes out and hits a home run. But here's my problem with this. So DJ Stewart hits a home run that still hasn't landed in game one of this series. We never saw him in game two. We never saw him in game three. Like DJ Stewart disappeared off the face of the earth after hitting a home run. And I find that strange that here's a guy who I admit, I don't want him in the lineup in game one. He does something productive, and then he goes on a milk cart. I don't get that. Well, well, especially because you have Stolly Marte, who is unavailable. He he literally is is throwing up somewhere in the clubhouse, and he can't play, yet your guy who's productive is not available. And it, it, it's funny. I agree with you on the Francisco Alvarez stuff because it doesn't make a difference where you put him in the lineup. The big spots seem to just find him, and that's the most important thing is when he's up in a big spot, he produces. Aiden Ustase, and I, I apologize. I screw up everybody's last name because I'm terrible at pronunciating anything, pronouncing anything. But Aiden wrote to us an hour into the Met game on Tuesday night. He wrote simply, we're going to lose. Evan and Hoff, I wanted to put this on record right now. The Mets are up 6-2 to two in the top of the third inning after going up 5 nothing in the first inning. Carrasco looks shaky and will not make it through four innings. They will lose. This is pathetic. Now, luckily, 
Aiden was wrong about everything. Now, he was right that Carrasco was shaky, but he did make it through four. (laughs) He got to four and two-thirds innings, and somehow the Mets only won the game. Hector writes, the baby Mets go back-to-back. If this is all they score for the rest of the game, it would be a typically disappointing par for the course. Either way, bring up Mauricio. Well, clearly the Mets would score more than those runs in the first inning. They would score six more runs and put up 11. Michael Joseph wrote, it's 11-8 right now. I, I love these in-game emails. Like, they, 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 they entertain me. Let like, me could, we just say, could we just say something? Yeah. You guys are now called the Ricos. And do me a favor, please, all of the Ricos out there, keep on just pummeling Evan with emails so we can do this on air. It's it's, it's beautiful. It is I beautiful. do appreciate it. A, a lot of people have said it's therapeutic for them to write down their thoughts and just email it to the Rico as a Rico, like you said. And then we kind of go through the game. This is fun going through game one now, analyzing how we all felt. Uh, Michael writes, it's 11-8 right now. So, by the way, it was 11-8. Uh, it was, I guess, right before they made it 11-9. <laughs> Hold on. I'm, try- I'm trying to get my track on this right now. So they were up 8-2, to two, and then it got to 8-4, to four, and then it got to 11-4. to All right. So it was 11-8 to eight right before Grandal. Actually, it went right from 11-7 to 11-9, if I'm not mistaken. So he may have been a little bit off with the score. Either way, close enough. It's 11-8 right now. Buck finally got got out of here. <laughs> well, when he got got out of here, it was 11-9. So it was an 11-9 game at this point. This is the game that had the power to revitalize the fan base. The offense was clicking. Alvarez is him, etc. Now we're watching our Achilles heel, one of two really, rear its ugly head yet again. Our aging starters are inconsistent and our bullpen is overworked. Mark my words, the Mets will lose this game, Evan. Do your emotional hedge bet and put it all on Chicago. So what's funny is I can't explain why I never emotionally hedged this game. And I should have because at 11-4, I could have gotten amazing odds on the Chicago White Sox. And I never did it. And I was watching the game live. So I didn't even have an excuse. It's funny. I knew going in. For anyone that actually cares about this, my dad went to all three of these games. And I said to my dad, look, I'm definitely going Thursday afternoon. I'll go either Tuesday or Wednesday. I can't make all three games. It's too much. So it was all going to be last second. I said, last second, I'll let you know I'm there on Tuesday. If I don't go Tuesday, I'll go Wednesday. So I went to work on Tuesday, did the show with Joe. And like halfway through the show, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go with tomorrow. I'm going to take tomorrow. And as this game was going on, I kept saying to my wife, boy, did I make the right decision. (laughs) Despite the five runs in the first inning, despite the back-to-back, just, first of all, I got to be honest about this. Three and a half hours ain't easy either. It was a three and a half hour game. The Wednesday game was two hours and four minutes. So from a time perspective, I made a good decision. And then just the emotions of this game. And I heard it was very humid outside too, by the way. Well, I was walking, so I I know how humid it was. But I just want to say, you're wrong. When they brought when they took Got out, it was eleven eight. What happened was Brooks Raley's first batter, Carlos Perez, he walked, and then on I don't know if it's the next pitch or the pitch after, 
pass ball, which yes. scored Yasmani Grandal. You're right. I mean, That's a good on. call by you. You're right. The two-run <laughs> single made it 11-8, and then the Alvarez pass ball allowed it to make it 11-9. Good job by you. There you go. And I got the scorecard in front of me, and I still screwed it up. My apologies. Dude, there was so much going on in that game, so many emotions. It's okay to miss that one. I, I, I You're allowed. <laughs> It was something else, man. It really was. There's a famous call of Bob Murphy from years and years ago where the Mets almost blew a game, I think, against the Phillies. And Bob Murphy, who you know would show emotion, but maybe not over-the-top emotion, on the final out said, and the damn game was over. And damn coming out of Bob Murphy was a big deal. So it always stays in my head that whenever there's a crazy game, a crazy, long, wild game that ends and the Mets win, I always give the old Bob Murphy... And the damn game is over. And when Anderson flew out to Brandon Nemo, it was a big time. And the damn game is over. I think the only negative from this game is despite the Mets scoring 11 runs, is another tough night for Pete, Pete Alonzo. And I think that is certainly a big topic of discussion. And we'll get to it in more depth as this pod continues. Pete is struggling. I mean, there's no denying it. We'll get to the defensive mistake he made on Thursday afternoon as well, but he is just not hitting. So even on a night where they score 11 runs, Pete Alonso was not exactly a bright spot. Jeff McNeil was. He had two hits. He drove in two runs. Francisco Lindor sort of was. Had an RBI double. Tommy Pham was. He got on base four times. To a degree, Brandon Nimmo was. He walked in the first and second inning, and then obviously DJ Stewart hits a bomb. Brett Beatty hits a bomb. And Francisco Alvarez continues his power stretch with a couple of home runs. And the Mets win the game by a score of 11-10, and that felt good. 